I've often joked that there's two kinds of outdoorsmen, fishermen that hunt and hunters that fish. Well, we're going to talk about the crossover lessons between the two of them on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey, y'all. Chad Lachance here. Appreciate you tuning in to Fishful Thinker, the podcast course brought to you, as always, by Sportsman's Warehouse, our beloved Sportsman's Warehouse. Stop in on your next outdoor adventure and pick up whatever you might need. 130-some stores around the country, plus sportsmans.com. Got a weird podcast for you today. A little bit weird. Maybe not weird. I don't know. Uh, And I'm only half joking when I said in the intro there that there's hunters that fish and fishermen that hunt. But in my circle of friends, and it's, I wouldn't say a giant expansive circle of friends. I'm a fair bit of a homebody. But pretty much everyone over the course of my adult life that I've spent very much time around is a hunter or fisherman and the overwhelming majority of them do both. And there's lessons to be learned by being in nature, regardless of whether you're a hunter that likes to fish or a fisherman that likes to hunt. And I would venture a guess that most of us are better at one than the other. I would say that I'm a better angler than I am hunter, um, just based on my experience level. I've been doing both my whole life, but I spend more hours fishing than I do hunting just based on practicality. I love both, and I probably have more diverse experiences uh, as a fisherman. Having said that, as I just alluded to, I've been a lifelong hunter as well, and most of that has been big game hunting. I've done my fair share of bird hunting of all sorts, particularly upland, well, that's waterfowl as well. Um, predator hunting, uh, you name it, small game. I love to eat squirrels and rabbits and uh, still shoot a bunch of them every year. Uh, but, but by and large, I'm a big game hunter and an angler. And this year's hunting season for me, big game season, was a little bit different than normal in some ways and a little bit the same. And when I sat back and reflect on it, same as I do with every season, whether it be the end of a fishing season, the end of a hunting season, uh, I'm already starting to consider tags for next year and uh, or this year, as the case might be now. Um, and I start thinking about what went right, what went wrong, and what did I learn during hunting season this last year. And I've been hunting the same basic area for a very long time, 20 plus years uh, for most of my deer, hunted elk and antelope and other things in various other places. But the bulk of my deer hunting has been in one area for the last Oh, 18 or 20 years. <clears throat> Having said that, I have hunted deer in the south. I've hunted them uh, in Kansas, Nebraska, Colorado, uh, as well as the mountains of Colorado. And so I've been around a little bit. But at the end of the day, when I looked back at this hunting season, which was successful for me and the two guys I hunted with, for deer season particularly, there was a couple of key things that drove home. There were key things that were keys to my success or our success during this hunting season. And we hunt as teams. Um, that was really important and that ties back to fishing season. Now, also let me set the stage real quick. We are uh, spot and stock hunters. So it's the Western United States where we're hunting. So if you're listening to this back east and you're thinking of sitting in a tree stand, this podcast might not be ideal for you. Although I would say there's gonna be some things that are similar. Uh, We are wide open country. wide open country hunting. I mean, you could see for miles and miles in most areas that we hunt, uh, not a lot of, of bottom land per se, certainly not a lot of heavy timber, uh, anything like that. So we're hunting in open country where you get immediate feedback. It's not like being 
maybe in Florida where I've done some deer hunting where you could be 20 yards from a deer and never know they're there uh, all day long. Well, out in the terrain that I hunt more often than not, uh, you, you can't hide a deer from a long ways away. Now, obviously they're deer and they're good at hiding, but at the end of the day, the country is wide open and most things out in that country are visible. It's closer to antelope terrain than it is deer terrain. So that's important. I also want to point out that I'm hunting them early in the season. So uh, they have access to a lot of, of resources in terms of food. Uh, I hunt them adjacent to farm country and therefore they have access to crops. Um, and generally they have a life of luxury by deer standards, uh, or at least by Western deer standards. And so that's important too because it really allows them more uh, room to move around per se, more food, more variety of food. Um, more latitude, I should say, for surviving. So that's that's important to set the set the playing field, so to speak, before I can start telling you how uh, some of the correlations between deer season and fishing season were once again uh, in play, and how my skills as an angler helped once again uh, for deer season. So one of the things that are the mantra for Fishful Thinker, one of our core values that we've been trying to teach people forever are our core concepts. We have lots of them, but one of those core concepts is to fish for what's biting. And we don't always have that option as a, as a hunting person, right? We have a deer tag. Well, the area I hunt has whitetail deer and mule deer, and either are legal on the tag that I hunt. Now, the reason this is an important statement is because since 2016, I believe, was the last time I hunted whitetails, or I harvested a whitetail, I should say, on this deer tag. And so that's been six, seven years ago, six years ago now. Even though I could legally every year hunt whitetails if I chose to do so, and the reason being is when I say fish for what's biting, I mean fit the fish for the species that the conditions fit the best. So uh, the same thing goes with my hunting. And this year, the way the drought situation played out in the area that I hunt, the open canyon country that we normally find mule deer in was all but devoid of muleys. And I've been hunting the same area for a long time, as I said, so I know some key areas, which I'm gonna get back to here in a minute. But the conditions on this particular trip weren't such that, uh, that the deer could be out in there. In, in, in other words, the way the weather for the hunting season was playing out was not conducive to hunting mule deer compared to hunting the white-tailed deer. And there's not major differences between them, but there are definite nuances in hunting them in the same area. And I'm hunting in a small area. So, I mean, I'm, I'll be within, a, a, say, a five-square-mile area, six-square-mile area the whole time which by Western standards is tiny. And I can hunt either one. Well, the whitetail and the muleys cross over in a lot of places. In fact, I've seen them together. I've seen muleys bump and whitetail does and vice versa. So they will get together, no question about it, and spend time in the same terrain. But they still have mild differences in the terrain they prefer. And this season, because of the conditions, it was better to hunt for whitetails than it was to hunt for mule deer based on what we ran into with the drought and, and the conditions of, of what I would say the, the open country, the, um, the non-farm country, the non-cattle country, the actual canyon country. 
It was very, very, very dry and no moisture, no water, uh, no plant growth to speak of comparatively. And so that forced our hand into hunting closer to the crop areas, which is more conducive to whitetails and we hunted whitetails. As I already said a minute ago, it's been since 2016 since I harvested a whitetail on this same tag, yet this year all three of us that were hunting together harvested mature whitetails on public ground. And the reason being was exactly that. The, the public ground that is known to be preferred by the mule deer was not in good condition this year. That doesn't mean there weren't deer there, it just means it wasn't in good conditions to hunt them and therefore we did not. We decided to hunt for what conditions better fit, that was whitetails, and that's what paid. And the same thing occurs to fish for what's biting. If I get to a lake and it's got bass and walleyes in it, let's say, and it's high bright sun and calm, well, I'm gonna go bass fishing. But if I get to that same lake and it's heavy overcast and low skies and the breeze is blowing, I might have an opportunity to, to fish for either species. And if I get there and it's really cold, say maybe early April, and we got a cold front, well, then I'm definitely not going bass fishing. I'm for sure going walleye fishing because the conditions fit walleyes better. Same kind of thing. Fish for what's biting, you'll have the most fun. Hunt for what the conditions provide for you, you'll do, uh, you'll do very well. Incidentally, in the past, I've hunted elk and deer together on the same season. And the same thing happens there. When you get good weather for spotting bedded deer, well, then I'll go do that. If you get good, nice cold weather and heavy ceilings and the elk want to bugle, well, then let's go do that. But again, it's fishing to the conditions or for what's biting, hunting or fishing, as the case might be. So very important. Another thing to keep in mind along those same lines is when I'm going to go looking for those fish, even though they might overlap, or these deer as the case might be, bass and walleye might overlap on the same type of structure. Well, whitetail and mule deer might as well. But at the end of the day, good structure is good structure, and structure beats cover. So two of the three whitetails we shot this year, and again, we hadn't shot whitetails in six years on the same tag, uh, two of the three we shot this year were in some of the best structure in the whole area that I hunt for holding deer. And that structure, when I say it's some of the best, I mean in 20 years worth of hunting the same area and taking notes and hunting it both early and late season, certain types of structure have been very good and certain specific pieces of structure have been very good almost regardless of the conditions and that paid out again this year. So when we decided, okay, these conditions are better for whitetails, we're gonna go to areas that we know hold whitetails and muley but are preferred by whitetails uh, and then go to the best pieces, the best, the best canyons in this particular case, um, that we know of for whitetail, for historically for whitetail, we went back to those canyons, which I haven't hardly hunted in, in several years, and lo and behold, there was whitetails in them again, even though they were dry and not in the condition that I would like to see them in, they were in better condition um, than some of the other canyons, which probably speaks to why they were very common to hold whitetails back when I really hunted the area predominantly for whitetails more than muleys, uh, which was in the early days of hunting in the same unit. So my point being a good piece of structure is a good piece of structure year in and year out. And that won't even change a lot with the amount of cover on it. It will dictate where those deer or where those fish set up on that structure. But at the end of the day, whether the weeds come in or the weeds don't come in, in a certain creek channel in the back of some arm that you like in a reservoir somewhere, 
is not relevant. That creek channel will still be good. There'll still be some fish in it. If the cover on that creek channel is even fills in good, well then, yeah, you're going to have lots of fish in there. Same thing here. Our cover was weak this year because of the moisture, but the best structure in the whole unit still held deer because structure trumps cover. And at the end of the day, the a, a good piece of structure with minimal cover beats a crappy piece of structure with great cover all day in and day out. And we use, ironically, the creek arms uh, as our basically way of breaking down the deer country we're in, no different than I would in looking at a topo map or my sonar units on a lake. It's all about the main river channel, then the secondary channels, then the little creeks that come off of that. It's all about pockets and creek arms and flats and all of those same things that we do for fish, we do for deer. And we use the same systems to break them down. And so in this case, the good structure was once again good structure and two of the three deer we found were in some of the best structure we've seen in the past. Ironically, the third deer that we shot, which was a big old 11 point beautiful buck, was in the best cover in the whole unit, which is ironically on the main channel, so to speak, on the main river edge, excuse me, in some of the best cover in the whole unit, the deepest, thickest cover in the whole unit, and it's because it gets runoff from an irrigated field up above it, and the kosher weeds grew in really good there, and sure enough, here you find great big whitetail buck utilizing those weeds as a place to bed right off the main uh, river channel that, that forms the, form, the most prominent structure in the whole unit. So by that logic, all three of the bucks we shot were in the most prominent structural pieces in the unit, and that is not dissimilar than fishing. I'm always going to my big structural pieces first and then working down from there. Structure beats cover every time. So I'm going to go, if I have equal amounts of cover everywhere, then I'm going to the best structure. If I have no cover anywhere, I'm still going to the best structure. So that should tell you right there what my thoughts are on that. And that can be really important. Within those things, another important thing to keep in mind within that structure and cover is once again, edges were extremely important. Two of the three deer, again, were shot right on the edge of the structure. No different than fish right on the edge of a drop off or the very top of a hump or the end of a point or whatever the case might be. One deer was bedded right up the edge, right up against the edge of a secondary uh, creek channel that comes off right on what would be known as the drop-off if it was underwater. A uh, little tiny piece of cover on the edge of the drop-off and, and big old non-typical buck bedded right there all by himself, just as I would expect a big largemouth to do on an isolated piece of cover on a good piece of structure. The second one, uh, which I just mentioned, was the one in the kosher weeds, again, right on the edge of the main river channel, a prominent piece of structure with a bunch of cover in it. So he would be the equivalent of, say, a bass on a great piece of structure with a bunch of weeds on it, or maybe a, you know, maybe a hump that's covered in willow bushes where it's got good cover and good structure, a good spot to find a bunch of fish we found a big white tail bedded right there. So again, the, the cover of the structure and most importantly, the edges thereof give you places to look. If I'm fishing a giant elodia weed patch or guys in the south, a, a giant hydrilla patch, 
Well, it's hard to break it down. It's a big giant patch, right? So I might need to fish the edges of it or the holes in it. Well, same kind of thing here. I've got a lot of cover out there, miles of river bottom to look at and miles of, of, of kosher weeds and yuccos and all the different kinds of weeds that live out there. Well, that's fine, but the edges of it are going to help me a whole bunch. And like I said, two of the three uh, were, were on edges and they were bedded, which I'm going to get to in a minute as well. The third one was actually bumping a doe, was up on its feet feeding and was shot at last light of the day. And at, while he wasn't eating, he was too busy tending a doe around, the does were feeding heavily. And that goes to my next thing. Um, we found two of those three deer bedded, one up on his feet and feeding. And a lot of guys that sit in tree stands only shoot deer on their feet. The, for me, that's a polar opposite. It is very rare that I shoot deer that are up and walking when I find them. Normally, I find deer bedded down and I sneak up on them and I shoot them. Or I wait for them to stand up, depending on how far away when I find them, wait for them to stand up and shoot them that way. Uh, but at the end of the day, fish spend more time resting than they do feeding. Bass also spend more time, or excuse me, deer, <laughs> I got fish on the brain right now, Deer also spend more time resting than they do feeding, even in the winter post-rut. And certainly in the early season where I'm at, they can do a bulk of their feeding at night or in the low-light periods, not so much during the day. So I have to adapt to hunt them when they are not feeding. Well, same thing goes with fishing. I have to be able to catch fish that are not feeding, particularly if you're fishing for, say, walleyes is a good example. They don't feed really well during the daylight. They feed really well during low light periods in the dark, but that's a small percentage of the day, the low light periods, and I don't night fish hardly at all because it doesn't fit with my guide schedule. It doesn't make for good TV content, and therefore it just messes me up. So I don't night fish very much, which is a better time to, to catch feeding walleyes. So if I want to catch walleyes, I need to catch them where they're not feeding and when they're resting, and I have to change my strategy to do that. Same thing with hunting deer. If you're hunting them when they're not up and on their feet, well, then you better be pretty good at locating them and covering distance on them. Thing is, that's the way they spend most of their time. So you need to get that figured out as a hunter and go that route, or same thing as an angler. If you only can catch them when they're biting, we can all catch them when they're biting. The trick is catching them when they're not biting. Deer are easy when they're up on their feet and walk around and in wide open out in the country I hunt looking for food sources. You know, it might be on the edges of even of farm fields and things like that. Well, <clears throat> they can't do that uh, all day long, or they don't do that, I should say, all day long. So for me to hunt them all day long, I need to go find them in their beds and go from there. Now, again, eastern tree stand hunters have a big no-no. We don't do that. You're, those deer spend a lot more time in really small areas and don't get up and move around. And we're taught as tree stand hunters, and I've done my share of that, to not go into their bedding terrain, not disturb them in their bedding terrain. And I'm that way for scouting in wide open country in areas that I believe I'm going to find bedded deer. I don't go in there until I have a rifle and a tag in my pocket because I don't need to go find them pre prior to season. I will spend all my scouting time looking for them where they're feeding, figuring I can determine where they're gonna go bed based on prevailing conditions at the time. 
Eastern whitetail hunters may not have that luxury. Uh, they have to shoot deer on their feet walking. And that's why trail cams are so important and patterning deer are so important. In my case, it's really a matter of playing the actual conditions because they might feed in the middle of the day if the conditions are right, or they might not feed for two days straight if the conditions are horrible. So it just depends on the scenario. For me to stay consistent, I have to be able to hunt them when they are resting. And that's an important thing for both an angler and a hunter. And, uh, and I think that's really important because they spend way more time resting than they do eating. eating. So that's really important. And when we go to glass deer, um, I will we'll keep track of are the cows up and feeding? Are other animals up and feeding? Are we seeing a bunch of coyotes out and moving? Are, you know, whatever. The universe will tell you whether or not the deer are up and feeding without having to necessarily locate the deer themselves. And that, that can be really important and it's a matter of being observant. And I've said forever the best outdoorsmen, hunters, or fishermen are very observant all the time. So, Another thing I'll throw out there is everyone talks about, oh, match the hatch, match the hatch, match the hatch for fishing. And I say don't match the hatch because the food sources for fish change a lot. And it doesn't matter what kind of fish it is. I pulled nets with Colorado Parks and Wildlife with walleyes, and they killed nine walleyes in one net because they were doing age-class sampling and um, testing for heavy metals and other toxic things in the flesh as part of a federal study. We killed nine walleyes that were all caught in one net in one particular short time frame, uh, and they were various sizes from about 28 inches to about 12 or 13 inches. There was like five different food sources off the top of my head found in those fish alone. Even though the primary food source in the lake they were caught in is smelt, only one of those fish had smelt in his gullet. The others had shad and yellow perch and crayfish and one had a stalker trout. So the food sources are very diverse amongst the same species of fish on the same day within the same couple hour period caught in the same location of the lake. And ironically, I'm sure some of you are gonna say, well, that 28 inch walleye was probably the one with the stalker trout. Actually, he had a whole gullet full of one inch long crayfish. Where he found him, I have no idea, but there was like 30 or 50 one inch long crayfish in this thing's belly. Conversely, the average 20 incher has a, a 10 inch stalker trout down his throat and you're wondering how you can ever gonna swallow that thing. So you don't know which food source it's gonna be and deer are going to be the same way. And so the two are tied together. When I go lessons that go back and forth, Every, every time we shoot a deer, and I shoot several deer a year, on any normal year I'll shoot at least two and sometimes three deer, and same thing with antelope, because I eat a lot of venison, it's what I live on. I always check their stomachs, always, to see what they have. Same thing with any fish that I harvest as well. Um, in the case of the deer, without question, without any variance at all, what I find in their stomach is a mix of food sources always. Sometimes corn mixed with wheat, sometimes natural uh, grasses mixed with who knows what. At the end of the day, it is never just a belly full of corn or just a belly full of, of winter wheat or just a belly full of you know, the buffalo grass edges or the plum thickets or the fruit that they find in those plum thickets, never. It's always a mix thereof. It doesn't matter if I shoot them in the early season or the late season, it's always a mix thereof. And they have all of those available to them all the time. 
during hunting season. So they can hit any of them they want. Same with the fish that I'm that I'm trying to go back and forth with right here. And so it's easy to say, well, you know, match the hatch or find the bait, find the fish. But what bait am I looking for? What hatch am I matching? That really is only applicable in a trout stream maybe where all of the trout are focused on one bug that's hatching en masse and therefore their brain is registered on that one bug and they'll go focus in on feeding on that as efficiently as they can. I get it, that's a match the hatch scenario, but I can also guarantee you that I can run a variety of different giant flies through there and still get some of those hatch focused fish to bite day in and day out. And I think the same thing goes for uh, deer. They might be heavily focused on winter wheat because it's high in protein, but a little snack of carbs like corn somewhere along the way is just fine with them as they walk by. And so, and they will do it. And oh, man, we went by this plum thicket and had some wild plums on it. We better eat a couple of those too on our way by. So to me, I don't ever write off any one food source uh, nor do I put all my eggs in one food source's basket. Uh, and that's the same whether I'm hunting fish or deer. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to get totally screwed into one food source thinking that's my only thing. And it, and again, in my, in my home lake, 60% of the bait fish in the lake are one species, but the fish eat all the different species. And I don't know if it's availability in terms of where in the water column or if it's just a preference for a varied diet. You know, we're all taught as humans that a varied diet's more healthy. Well, maybe that's the same thing for fish and wildlife would be my guess, and they know it. So um, intuitively, they know it. But again, the deer we shoot, always have a mixture in their stomach and the fish I catch again usually uh, on any given day will have multiple food sources as well. So it's open-minded stuff guys and and really what it goes back to is being uh, very open-minded about how you're dealing with with your problem solving on any given day and understanding that core things are the same for hunting or fishing uh, that that Mother Nature's rules are the same and the tendencies of fish and wildlife tend to be the same. The importance of structure versus cover, the variety of food sources, the importance of edges of things as a way to get around uh, or as a way to hide or as a way to um, basically get from one place to the other without being out in the open. Uh, edges, very, very important. The concept of what's biting, I mean, on. I can't tell you how many episodes of Fishful Thinker when we go to film, I put in the boat in the water with a, an open mind going, well, okay, these conditions are really good for crappie and largemouth, so we might look at those, even though it might be a, a lake that's more known for its walleyes or vice versa. So again, we fish to the conditions, and uh, which is the same thing as to fish for what's biting or for what conditions fit your hunting and the diversity of the food crop. So. Those are lessons I've learned over the years of hunting fish and game. Uh, the principles are the same. Locating them are the same. It's just a matter of applying them across the board. And this year was a classic example of that because I would have swore to you going into the season that we were going to hunt these wide open canyons and we were going to shoot a big muley again. And we got there, looked at the conditions, went, no, wait, we need to go whitetail hunting, uh, went whitetail hunting, and followed some core stuff. And in a matter of four days of hunting time, shot three really nice mature whitetails. So the lessons learned as outdoorsmen paid off. So appreciate you guys listening to this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. We'd really, really love it if you'd subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's at Fishful Thinker. Uh, that's something we put a lot of effort into. 
uh, it's all education all the time, and we'd love to have you check that out and also join the conversation on Facebook or Instagram, both of those, at Fishful Thinker. And understand that I have private pages, too, or uh, excuse me, personal pages under Chad LaChance. Uh, you can look those up, too, on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook. So appreciate you tuning in, guys, and this has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast.